The only time I'd pray was actually when I had an exam coming up and I was like, I really don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Okay, let's just pray, let's just pray. Okay, maybe that'll work. Um, so that kind of was my faith and it wasn't really a living faith. And I remember one time in my, um, one of my classes that I came in late as always I bumble along and just walking in and um, my teacher was RS and she was like, oh, we're just talking about tongues and Christianity. Like, have you heard of tongues? And my whole class was there. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. My mum speaks in them all the time. And then like sat down over my book. Everyone was looking at me like oh my gosh like who is this girl and I was like yeah like when she gave birth to my sister like my godmother translated it it was in Greek um and then I looked up and realized everyone's faces were like oh my gosh so I realized that straight away that actually my faith and the background that I had in my faith was just not relevant not important um and I wasn't going to seek it so then when I went to university again the same thing happened I wasn't really wanting to get into faith I didn't I didn't look for a church mum did the whole classic oh have you thought about looking for a church Becky you know it'd be really great and I was like oh that's so sweet, yeah. Um, I'm here for freshers. <laughs> you know what freshers are there for. You know, the students over there, we know what freshers are about, don't we? Um, it's not for finding a church. Well, might, maybe it is here. It should be about finding a church. Um, <laughs> really undoing my ministry here, aren't I? Um, so um, so I, I just, I bumbled along and I had this really awful halls and no one was around and we had this bus um, that used to shuttle us in and out and it came every seven, seven times a day and then the weekends we had nothing. So it was really like really isolating we didn't really have any friends um, around and it was like I was my flatmates were really weird as well I mean I won't get into that it's a long story but they were a bit weird and um, so I was feeling really lonely so then someone on my course said oh I'm going to church and she had a car so I was like oh my gosh yes socializing um, I kind of know God and like you know I'm not really but I mean I kind of know like the whole what you know what talks like what worship like it doesn't make me uncomfortable mum does it all the time in the kitchen Do you know what I mean I can deal with it just to make some friends so I went along and um, again Again, like I said, the, the, the preacher was really young, not like my dad. Joking. Um, and um, and um, seemed really vibrant, and everyone around me was my age, and I was like, oh, this is great, like, loving this. Um, and then they invited me to a student weekend away, and I remember everyone had their hands up and worshipping, and I just stood there like this the whole time. I was like, they're all faking it. They don't, they don't love God. They don't, like, what is this about? They're just, like, super spiritual, like, not really kind of my thing, but, you know, that's nice. Um, and I remember, but I remember the preach that really hit me, and I remember thinking, okay, like, I think I kind of get this, um, and I think maybe I want to be a part of this, not this all this clappy, happy thing. I was just like, well, I mean, kind of want to be maybe a part of this, and I remember praying a prayer in my head and saying, God, like, I think I want to get to know you more, and I know the past, and I actually want there to be a change in who I am, and over the next three months... I just, some people get the Holy Spirit and they get feels all over and they get all of that kind of thing. I totally didn't. I had three months where I just remember I was just completely transformed. I mean, you can ask my parents, I was just a completely different person um, from who I am today. Um, and so what was really interesting, so I, so I had this amazing faith and Jesus was really speaking to me and I felt really like, oh, I'm really on fire. Um, and then the first obstacle that hit my faith was I went to a house party. There's a theme here, parties. Hit me up if you want to invite me to one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I <laughs> love it. I'll be there. Um, and um, yeah, and the, these two boys and my friends were like, oh, they go to the local church near us. I was like, oh, no way. I'm a Christian too. Um, and they were like, yeah. Um, and um, they just said to me yeah 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 we love Jesus all the rest you know the classic chit chat and um and then my friend said to me oh yeah but they don't believe in women leadership 
And I was like, excuse me? Are you joking? I was like, what century are we in? Like, you need to get woke, am I right? Like, what is going on? I was just so, like, baffled. Like, how, how could they do this? And then they just started reeling off the Bible, Corinthians, we're going to have this later. Um, but this Corinthian passage about how women shouldn't preach, and I just remember feeling totally stunned. And both me and my friend were just sat there like, oh my gosh, and we just had nothing to say because they were like, you clearly don't believe in the Bible. You haven't read the Bible because the Bible says this, women shouldn't preach. And I was just completely stunned. And then that next week, um, I was helping at a homeless shelter. And I look like a good Christian, don't I? <laughs> Brought that in. Um, and um, and um, there was this woman, and she was like, I was like, she was like, oh, I'm a Christian. And I was like, oh, again, another Christian, great, yeah. And I was like, oh, I was speaking to these two really misogynistic boys who didn't believe that women should preach. How outrageous is that? And they, she just looked at me like, oh, it's not biblical, is it, Becky? Have you even read your Bible? Again, completely stunned. I went back to my room. I had tears in my eyes. I just felt so angry and betrayed and hurt. And how can this God, who I love, who I clearly have had a relationship with, completely transform me, who I've seen actually now do amazing miracles and now um, just completely love, just not actually value me, actually someone else who um, is a boy should do this, which I think I'm better at. Um, and I'm joking. Ben's really, everyone was really, Chris is great, you're great. Um, <laughs> I'm really hyping myself up here. Um, <laughs> so much better um and so why why is it because of their male anatomy that they can do that and I just remember just sitting there like I couldn't couldn't deal with it and and I don't know about you but I actually find the bible a bit of a minefield it's a bit crazy isn't it when we open it up it feels a bit odd we've got Leviticus has anyone read that that's hilarious isn't it what is going on there and we've got genocide in the old testament and we've got a bit of misogyny in the new testament it just feels like oh my gosh I do not want to open that bag of worms I love Jesus I'm happy with the Holy Spirit but this bible thing is a bit too much for me to deal with um so, I mean, what do we do about that? So I'm just going to basically talk us through a really difficult passage and the one that I really have to grapple with. Um, so if you don't mind, Paul, if you got the first... By the way, I did these slides this morning because I forgot to do slides, so they're really basic. So I'm so sorry. There's nothing like St. Peter's or Court Artsy. Sorry about that. Um, anyway, so this is it. 1 Corinthians 14.34, which is women should remain silent in the churches. <laughs> Oops. Um, they are not allowed to speak, <laughs> but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Or did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people it has reached? I mean, straight away, what do we feel about that? It means Hanel should really not come up here, doesn't it? It means that Lucy, bless her, she's great, isn't she? But we're just going to sack her because we can maybe, she can maybe do the piano, but to be honest, I'd rather her be sitting with um, a boy or a husband or her dad or something like that. And for me, honestly, I should get home. Family, we need to go because I've embarrassed myself right now. We need to leave this place. Like, that's, that's what this passage does. It totally undermines what we do here at St. Peter's. It totally undermines every female preacher that has ever preached so there's two things that we're going to do this morning. The first is look at the context, and then the second is look at the cooperation, so basically how the verse sits in relation to the Bible as a whole. So I remember, this is how, you know when you do Chaucer or Shakespeare at school, and, um, and you know, you have to do the context, because otherwise you really don't understand the passage, do you? I mean, you have no idea what's going on. I mean, I didn't. I remember sitting in the English, like, oh my gosh, these people are weird. Um, and so it really doesn't fit. And I remember my teacher once told me, like, Becky and the rest of my class, and she's very posh, she's, this is my boarding school, um, so boys and girls, today we're going to do um, the context um, of this passage. Actually, I'm not going to give you the context, because in, in the, in the 
exam, uh, what might happen is you might not get the context and you haven't studied it, so I want to see how you do it. Um, and so basically this whole poem was about two lovers that drifted apart. I kid you not, I wrote a five-page essay about two birds that committed suicide, and I genuinely thought that I got it right. I was like, I got that one. I'll be fine for the, the real A-level. Um, so without context, our literal interpretations of particular scripture can be misread or not fully understood. So <clears throat> let's look at the context that's surrounding the passage of Paul in this verse. So, Paul, thank you. Amazing. So Aristotle writes, silence gives grace to a woman, though that is not the case like a man. And then in the religious settings, a Tanim, which is basically a Jewish leader of the time, wrote that one does not invite women to read out before the community. So the culture and the context that Paul was writing in saw female silence and submission as generally assumed characteristics. And the religious settings of Paul was completely saturated in this patriarchal misogynistic assumptions. Then if we look at why Paul was writing this, so basically what was going on is in the Corinthian church, he's writing this letter to the Corinthian church, and there's this bit of a, a mishmash what's going on. So you've got the Jews versus the Gentiles. Now the Jews are pretty anti-women speaking, as we've just heard from the Tanim. I don't actually know how to say that, but Tanim. And then you've got the Gentiles who um, have generally have lots of different beliefs. And in one particular, they, it was a Dionysian cult, and they had his hysterical screaming and shouting. So it meant like people meeting right now, someone would be going, whoa, and it would just be a bit distracting and a bit weird for probably the Jewish people and like vice versa, the Jewish people were probably a bit weird for the Gentiles. So what Paul is trying to do here is establish order and control um, with females because actually they're creating absolute mishap. It's a bit like if we had the Catholic church and then us with our drums over here and then we completely mashed every single week. Imagine the chaos. Ben and whoever the vicar is down there, they'd probably be on the phone every other week with having an argument about what happened in the service. Um, and then the second thing to note is that women weren't educated at the time, so only men. So um, Keener, a theologian, writes that actually the women who were speaking would be asking so many different questions and disrupting the service. Again, it's back to order and control. Um, so Keener writes, the immediate remedy for the situation was for them to start, stop asking questions. The long-term solution was to educate them. Again, we see through Keener's comment on this verse that Paul's aim by silencing women is to establish order. But interestingly, he offers and establishes a way in which women can be educated. And this would, have been not, this would not have been normal in a Greco-Roman society. You wouldn't expect to be educated and you would have no source of being educated. Hmm? Yeah? Sorry about that. Okay. It got it completely mixed, mixed up. Okay, this is then, and then, this leads me to the second thing. So, in, we've heard the context of that, and again, this really doesn't ease me as a 21st century reader. I mean, it's great that they're misogynistic, and I kind of get why he's written it, and it's a bit of a misogynistic society, and you kind of see why he's gaining control, but again, it really doesn't put me at ease. Um, so, what we need to do is now look at this verse and see how it is in relationship to the whole Bible and Paul in his previous writings. So, Paul writes in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor male nor female, as all are one in Christ. So this was a creedal vow, which basically meant that if you were being baptised, um, this would have been spoken over to you, so just to introduce you um, to the faith. And so this is totally radical, as he, he's looking at it through Christ's lens, which is basically, actually, we're all equal um, in the eyes of God. And so what happens here is that 
there's this amazing sense in which with Paul and his theology, he looks at particular situations and addresses particular people at particular times, but he also looks at an eschatological theology, which is basically essentially the future theology, so the end point, so what's going to happen um, when we all die. Um, <laughs> so um, he looks and has this kind of tension in all his writings when he talks, and so therefore we kind of see that verse that we saw um, was actually way more particular and cultural and specific for a specific audience and a specific context that is creating um, tension. And the second way he undermines this verse is because he has women people that he lets lead. So by calling Phoebe a deacon in Ecclesia at Chenchery, you can tell me later, Dad, how to say that. Um, Paul clearly wishes to communicate the importance of her role. In fact, according to Elizabeth Forenza, who's an amazing female theologian, the evidence leads to the conclusion that Phoebe is recommended as an official teacher and missionary of the church at Centuria. And the relationship between Phoebe and Paul has been described as one of mutual patronage. patronage. So there's this codependency here. She needs Paul in order to understand and um, gain influence. And he needs her sphere of influence in order to expand his mission in Chenchuria. <laughs> so um, women like Phoebe and Lydia who are singled out in the New Testament as independently offering services to believers, acting as heads of household or both, or have often been viewed as autonomous women um, and either divorcees or widows in control of significant material resources. And scholars such as Ross S. Kramer and Benedict Bruton have illustrated that the appearance of women in leadership roles in early Christianity should not be seen as unique but rather as in keeping with the roles that women assumed in other communities. Then, if we go back or go forward, don't actually know, need to know, figure out where that verse is. Um, Jesus, um, as we had, there's four points of Jesus I want to address. The first is what Ben did beautifully the other day. Well done, Ben, lovely preach. Um, about three weeks ago, he did it on the women and the well. And basically that, what, it was just, Jesus was totally breaking down standards, wasn't he? He was just, he didn't care that she was an, out, he was, she was an outcast. He didn't care that she was a woman. Um, he totally lived up to what we heard in Galatians, which is there is neither male nor female. And the second point, which is probably one of my favorite points and crucial points that what's going on when you have in the beginning of the Old Testament you have Adam and Eve don't we and we have Eve biting the apple and bringing sin into the world and so there's been this Jewish culture of actually women have brought sin so therefore they're lesser and actually they're this kind of tension has grown over the years and what Jesus does which is brilliant when he rises on the third day what happens is he just returns in a garden and offers the news and the good news to a woman first so the first ever preacher of the gospel is a woman can I hear an amen? Amen. Thank you. And then if we read the third one, reading Acts that Mary was a disciple. So we're lots of people, oh, but you know, Jesus didn't have disciples. Yes, he ding dong did. She was sat at his feet. And, and so you wouldn't be sat at your feet if you weren't a disciple. So we see that at Acts. And then four, Jesus deliberately shapes his teaching around women. So when we see in the parable of the coins um, and the heroine there is a woman. So the two arguments I hear against what I've said are, the first one is that, oh, but Becky, I mean, you're reading, this is great, but you know, you're reading the Bible through a 21st century lens, like, I prefer the objective teaching of the Bible. And the second, <laughs> thank you, love that laugh, um, the second is um, um, that we, um, I'm a woman, and this is my reaction, so I'm a woman, I feel like women and men are equal, and I feel like God has given me um, the abilities and gifts, and I should be able to use them just as much as a man um, so therefore actually I can't don't know whether I can engage in this faith because actually it feels so so wrong to me and I, I can't really deal with that 
But both of these um, arguments fell in my eyes because there is no objective teaching of the Bible at all. Primarily because when we see the Bible as objective, what we fail to realise is that the Bible has been translated by men. It has been interpreted by men. It has then been, um, theologians have been primarily men until about 100 years ago. I don't even know, probably the facts, but probably around that kind of time. Um, We cannot read the Bible simply. They all come with a lens. And we need to read the Bible, firstly, in our context and our lens, which is totally important. And the secondly, the lens the Bible was written in. Thirdly, in cooperation with the whole Bible. And lastly, and most importantly, the lens in which God sees it all through. We need to read the Bible, listen to different voices on what the passages mean, because with this kind of understanding, the Bible can't start to challenge us and get us to wrestle. And when we approach the Bible, we often stick to the easier verses and actually, um, like, love your neighbour as you love yourself. You know, those are classics, aren't they, in your Bible groups. You just, yeah, I know what this means, so I need to be loving, you know, my neighbour. You know, sometimes I find it hard, and you have these little group discussions, don't we? And we're like, oh, yeah, that's such a good point, Linda. Love it. And, um, and then we all go, yeah, yeah, great, great. Um, but it means what happens is that we end up having this thing that when people challenge us about these verses, we end up, what well, I was like with me and my friend who were both Christians on fire for Jesus, knew he was alive and knew that God was so great, but we just didn't have a, we didn't have a response and we didn't know what to do. We seize up. And so I'm just going to end it nearly on Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. And I don't know about you, but I think the Holy Spirit is totally amazing um, and it will change your life, but without text and without rooting our faith on text and understanding, we actually build our house on the sand. And so when that rush comes, we just get knocked over. And so, and in, and so the practical solutions to this is obviously I've talked us through this kind of approach of how we read the Bible and tools like that are great. And also when we look at... Um, when we are in our villages, we can then actually start to challenge each other and start to think through using these kind of methods. And it also means that we've got phones on us all the time. We can Google stuff. Like, I really encourage you, if you're, like, if you're like, oh, I really don't understand what that verse means, actually just Google it. There's going to be some wacky people giving their ideas as well, just to put it out there. But you just need to look at loads, loads of different um, people and their commentaries. So I'm going to end here, but the questions I really want to ask this morning is, where is our faith rooted? When someone asks us the hard questions, can we take it? Do we have the tools and skills to help us grapple with the hard texts in the Bible so we don't run away? And how, as a church, do we find a way in which we can encourage each other not to run away from these really hard texts, but to learn and wrestle with scripture, not to use it as a tool of control, rather to encourage each other and think hard about the difficult questions and verses that pop up. So I'm just going to quickly pray just to end. But 
you can close your eyes, do what you want to be honest, I'm not fussed. Um, But yeah, Father God, we thank you so much for today, we thank you so much that we get to hear your word and we get to grapple with these hard um, things and we just want to pray over people who've had, um, actually really struggled with the Bible and found it too much of a minefield. We just pray, Father, your Holy Spirit would just come now and teach us how to read the Bible. You'd give us wisdom in order to know what is of you um, and what is not you and what you want to speak in our life um, through your word. And so, Father, and I also just really want to pray, I thank you so much that you've created women. Woo woo. And we thank you so much that you absolutely love each and every one of us. But we just want to pray particularly over the women who are in leadership or um, people who you've anointed or people who are at work right now who are women who are finding it really difficult at work. Um, and there's sometimes there's a wrestle between, um, is it because I'm a woman that I'm getting this? So, Father, we just pray for your peace and your anointing over every single woman in this building. We just pray that you would come and you would make them all into amazing leaders. Amen.